Your neighbor, you're looking good today. Why don't you ask him, I wonder where we're going to lunch today. I... Hey, super glad to see you. Hey, do we have any uh, University of Arkansas Hogs fans here? Come on now, if you will, raise your hands at me. It was not good yesterday. I was rooting for them, but I think they lost. So I, I, I know the grief in your heart. After church, we'll be having a memorial time, a prayer time up front. If you want to come and, uh, and uh, no, I'm just kidding. I do want to uh, mention something to you. Yesterday, I was reading my Bible, and I realized that this morning, we're starting a brand new book of the Bible in our daily Bible reading. They'll put a little little picture on the screen of our church app. If you've never downloaded it, I would do that right now. Just go to the store, search Church on the Rock, Texarkana. you got to write Texarkana. And this is what's uh, what's called the Bible Guide in it. And every day there's two chapters to read, an Old and New Testament. If you can't read both, I just read the New Testament. But this is a great way to stay disciplined, to stay focused, to stay motivated. Uh, And I, I have been a Christian you know, uh, 46 years, I think I figured, a uh, long time. Uh, I'm not perfect. Don't say amen. But I have never fallen away from God. God is closer to me today, I think, than any time in my life. And the thing I credit it to is not that I preach on Sunday and not even that I go to church, but that I take some time every day to be with God. Call a quiet time, a devotion time. I read my Bible. I pray. If I miss a day, I pick it up the next day. But that's the great, great thing to do. And I want to encourage you. uh, I have probably a dozen study Bibles. And I think everyone needs a study Bible because the Bible was written 2,000 years ago. We don't understand some of the words, some of the customs, who it was written to. And uh, I've got about a dozen of these study Bibles. But my all-time favorite is what's called the Spirit-Filled Life Study Bible. And uh, I, I have a goal this year that every member of our church would get one of these things. And um, we just got three more cases in. If you want to get one after service in the Connect Room, pick it up. It's for our cost. We don't make anything off of it. Uh, I just want to get it in your hands because I know it'll help you grow. Praise the Lord. Okay, last week, anybody remember where we were? Psalm 23, and we talked about finding peace in the crises and chaos of life. You remember we used a little illustration here of a satellite picture of a hurricane. Uh, This hurricane, uh, the outer cloud area, it could be producing uh, rainfall in excess of a foot an hour, I mean, or a foot a day. I mean, just huge amounts of rain. The wind could be blowing 100, 125, sometimes even 200 miles an hour in uh, in the Category 5. But you notice in the center, there's what's called the eye of the hurricane. And uh, in that eye of the hurricane, there's no wind, there's no rain. It's even sunny sometimes. And it's like a perfect picture of a storm on the outside, and yet there's peace on the inside. And this is exactly what Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ offers to us. John 16, verse 33, Jesus said, I've told you these things, so in me you might have peace. But the peace is in Christ In this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Well, we're going to continue that this morning, and we're going to look at Psalm 91, similar to Psalm 23. You remember Psalm 23, the key verse, yea, say it with me, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. 
And that's a key thing, whether you're a teenager, whether you're an elderly person, God is with me. And when I know God is with me, I can face my fears. Doesn't mean your knees may not knock. Doesn't mean you may not struggle. But it means that you have a sense of confidence as you go through it. Well, Psalm 91 is, is very similar. Some have said it's the most comforting uh, uh, psalm in the Bible. And uh, we're going to go through it today. Some of the, the, the translators have given it a title. God is our protector. Anybody feel overwhelmed in life? Anybody feel like the world's coming to get you? COVID's coming to get you? The economy's coming to get you? Job loss is coming to get you? God is our protector. We find our security in God, another title. Uh, another one that I really like is that God is the one who takes care of us. Now, that doesn't mean that we, uh, we don't work. It doesn't mean that we don't think, plan, strategize, try to improve ourselves. But there's a sense that there's a, a God that's watching over me, guiding me, leading me, preparing me, making opportunities for me, and helping me. And can I tell you, friends, you don't have to live with the pressure of the world on your shoulders. It's just like we can take a deep breath, knowing that if we let him, God will be there for us. Somebody say praise the Lord. Well, our truth for today is a simple one. We can find refuge in God to face the storms of life. Let's begin Psalm chapter 91 as we talk about the secret place and a refuge. If you've got your Bibles turned there, we're just going to go through these verses. For time's sake, we're not going to read the whole thing. What we're going to do is we're going to uh, just go verse at a time, and then we're going to have communion, and I almost forgot here. I need my little communion deal. If you did not get one of these communions on the way in, lift your hands, and an usher will give it to you. I call these little guys COVID communion. I'm not nuts about them, but it is what it is. Uh, if you're watching online, we welcome you. Take just a minute now, and if you would go to your kitchen, get some bread, piece of cracker, a little juice or something, and, and join us at the end of the message. But uh, let's look at verse 1 here in this psalm. Uh, in verse 1, it tells us that he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now think about this just a second. These two words that describe God, most high and almighty, they're pictures of a sovereign, all-powerful God. That, how many know God is greater than any problem we'd ever face? <laughs> I saw a news article this week that it was panicking. It said, oh no, the, sun, the, the earth and the moon are moving further away. And the calamity's coming because now the waves and the sea and the gravity won't work. I thought, that's nothing to God. God was the one that spun those planets out there in the first place. And if you happen to believe there's no God, now listen, you've got reason to worry. Because this big boom that created everything you knew, for all of a sudden, it just it put the earth in its place. And from this big creation, the earth shot out and stopped here. And the moon shot out and it stopped here just in a perfect pattern so that it could control the tides of our oceans. Listen, I don't have much faith in that. I've got faith in God created the heavens and the earth, and God is the one that sustains us every day, and God is the one that can, can if the moon gets a little further away, God can bring it closer back. Our lives are in God's hands, and this is the place of peace that I'm talking about today. I'm not talking as an ignorant, un uneducated man that doesn't understand the laws of science. And all. No, I'm talking about someone that understands just enough to know that there is a God. And the same God that created us is the same God that can take care of us. The same God that caused me to be born when others were dying, 
the same God that's watched over me and cared for me 64 years is the same God that can take me to the other side. Uh, he is the most high. He is almighty. But what I want you to see is it said, if the person who dwells in the secret place, dwells mean is you like you make a home. It's not a hotel that you go to or, or, a, or a timeshare that you go to once a year. But this dwelling with God is like your home. You and God are close. And the secret place simply means to be near to God. And God's desire is to be near to all of us. You know, the scripture in James, it said, if you draw near to God, what will God do? He, draw, he draws near to you. Well, this is the key to the whole passage today. Verse 2, I will say of the Lord, he is my, my refuge and my fortress, my God, and him will I trust. In other words, this almighty God, if I will trust in him and walk close with him, I'll have a refuge from the storms of life. It doesn't mean there won't be storms around you, but it means you're living in this place of calm in the eye of the storm. Now, the word refuge, it means a shelter or protection from danger or calamity. Uh, it means a stronghold that protects us. It's a place that's inaccessible to the enemy. And I want you to bring this, these thoughts today down in a very personal and practical way. Uh, maybe... maybe um, Oh, let me read a little bit more, and then I'll, and then I'll, and then I'll do that. Uh, the key to protection here is dwelling in this secret place, living close to God. This means that I have a daily walk with God. It means every day I'm talking to God in what we call prayer. Prayer is not just a five-minute thing. It's not just something over lunch that's perfunctory. Prayer is talking to God. Prayer is it, it, perhaps something good happens, and you say, thank you, God. Prayer is listening to God as you open your Bible. And somehow prayer or somehow this daily walk with God, we ask God's questions and somehow he answers us. I don't mean we hear voices, but he could answer us through the sense of peace that passes all understanding. He could answer us through another person, a circumstance, a prophecy. But somehow the unseen God is real and near and he cares for us. Uh, you ever heard the, uh, the, the old hymn, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me? Let me hide myself in thee. Well, what the heck does that mean? But I think this is a great, great illustration of what I'm talking about, about a refuge in this secret place. Let me show you a picture, a true story here. You see the plaque on the right side, Rock of Ages. Uh, this rock derives its name from the well-known hymn written about 1762 by the Reverend A.M. Toplady. It was, of course, in England uh, by what's called Cheddar Gorge. And uh, he, he was inspired to write this song while he was sh found shelter in the cleft during a storm. Now, cleft, basically, this picture on the left is what's believed is the actual rock he was standing in. But if you can imagine a severe storm, I'm talking about tornadic type winds. I'm talking about rains that are torrential. And, you know, you don't, you don't have a car to get in. You don't have a house to run to. You're a preacher going from church to church. And you go in the face of this rock cliff and it has an overhang and this cleft of the rock. So he's literally in this cleft of the rock. The rain is no longer pummeling him. The wind can't destroy the rock. He is in a secret place with God. He is in a refuge. 
We're going to sing this song more during communion because this refuge is not just about life on this earth. This refuge is about our eternal soul. Come on now. This refuge is about the forgiveness of our sin in a real place called heaven. But uh, anyway, let's look at verse 3, and it speaks of God's protection and deliverance. And here's where we want to try to get specific. Verse 3 says, surely, which means truly or absolutely, or you can count on this, God shall deliver you. Can you say that? God shall deliver me. God shall deliver me. It's a mindset. It's a place to anchor faith when you're in trouble. And we'll talk more about the interpretation of this song, or psalm later. We'll talk about the absolute sense or, or the general principle. But the main thing I want you to see is in life, we need something to hang on to. If you're an unbeliever, if you don't believe in God and you're having major surgery and you've signed all your forms and you're fixing to go in, you don't have anybody to trust but the doctor. Now, I pray you have a good doctor and he's got a good track record. Well, how many know if he's never lost anyone yet, how many know you could be the first one? <laughs> if everybody's woken up from the anesthesia, how many know you could be the first one that doesn't wake up and it won't matter to you if he has insurance or not? Or, or, you understand? Now, all that'll matter is who's going to marry your wife and get the insurance from the malpractice lawsuit. That's what will matter. Listen. <laughs> We live in a world where we're just taught to be tough. You know, we get educated, we get smart, we have money, we have resources, we have power. We're influential, as the case may be, in our little circle. But at some point, come on now, we're all just little children. At some point, we can't, we can't force our life beyond a predetermined hour, and we realize our need for God. This God, in this passage, says, He will deliver you. He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, and from perilous pestilence. What does that mean? The snare of the fowler, it's like a bird cage. Uh, I, I don't know exactly how these birds got caught, but I would imagine it's kind of like when I catch raccoons. I've got raccoons, and if they want to steal my bird seed or my honey or whatever the case is, I put these traps out, and I put some, I put some uh, a bait inside of it, and that little raccoon or that little critter or squirrel goes inside there, and the door closes behind him. Well, what this is a picture of, another way it can be uh, uh, translated is all hidden dangers. God will deliver me from hidden dangers. What's a hidden danger? It could be in a contract to buy something. It could be in a, in, in a purchase to buy a, an old vehicle that you may not know, <laughs> the motor and transmission are shot. And if you would just be quiet and still and listen to God, it could be a relationship that could bring great destruction in your life. Uh, he may be the, the prettiest guy you've ever seen in your life, and you want, I love him, Mama. But you may not know that he's going to become a meth addict. And the Holy Spirit says, you know, don't do that. God has the capacity to deliver us. But also, he says, I'll deliver you from perilous pestilence. Now, that's defined as all deadly diseases, including pandemics. Now, it seems like COVID is going down just a little bit, but how many know there's a lot of people that died from COVID? How many, how many people had COVID? Wave your hand at me here, because I did. Yeah, look across the room. A lot of us did. I had it last January. I thought I was going to heaven. I packed my bag to go to the hospital, didn't know if I was coming home. But when you face something like that, face it with this. In other words, you need something to determine your mental state, your mind, what you believe. And, and how many know we typically to default to the worst thing? 
You know, uh, if, if you've got a pain or something and you look on the internet and you see the pain, you're dead in 30 minutes. I mean, you better get to the emergency room. <laughs> but don't our minds work that way? I had a little owie not too long ago and it was bothering me. And uh, uh, I saw the doctor and he said it wasn't a big deal. But after I had the owie in about 30 minutes, I always saw, me, saw myself going to MD Anderson. That's the way we naturally think in our minds. But this verse says that God will heal me. You say, well, what if he doesn't? I'll talk about that in a second. I want us just to kind of establish in our hearts today that here's some words from God that gives me an anchor in the storm. How about the storm is over your marriage, your family, your children? Isn't it a whole lot better to face it with faith in God? rather than a horrible foreboding and sense of fear and doubt. Yeah, look at verse 4. He will cover you. God will cover you with his feathers. Under his wings, you'll take refuge. Now, that does not mean God is a chicken or a bird, but it's a picture. Look at this eagle here. And this eagle now, they say, has a wingspan of five to six feet. Her talons are so strong, she could, you know, she could pull you under pretty quick. She could take care of you. But this is you and I on the bottom, these little helpless chicks. I don't care if you're old, educated, experienced. Uh, I don't care if you've got money and all that. When you realize that you're like a little chick, come on now, in need of God, the quicker you realize that. See, this is humility. Pride says, I'm the man. I can do it. Humility recognizes that it's in Christ I live and move and have my being. And anything I can do, I can do because of him. But this is a picture of our God as we face life. Uh, uh, this next verse I like, he's going to be your shield and buckler. Now, what that means, uh, 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 one translation says, his faithful promises are your armor and protection. See, this is what we're reading right now. We're reading words that can be interpreted as the promises of God. And these words are promises. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please him. We're not taught this in the secular world. Well, we, I mean, listen, you have faith every time you get on an elevator. Come on. You have faith every time you turn your, your key on your ignition. But how many know a faith in God is different? We're not taught that in our culture today. We're not taught to believe God outside the realm of certainty, outside the realm of probability, outside the balance of my account or whatever the case is. We're taught that there's a finite world. Well, listen, friends, you and I believe in an infinite God. The infinite God that created the heavens and the earth can certainly take care of us. But God is faithful. This word faithful is a Greek word, pistos. It means that God is reliable. He is believable. He is trustworthy. And if I could do something to you today, I would just implant in my head and yours that when I read passages like this in the Bible, I can believe God. Yes. That God and his word are reliable. Didn't it Jesus that said heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will never pass away? There's something about the promises of God that have power and invitation to bring God into our world. But let's keep reading. Uh, it says, you shall not be afraid. How many like that promise? Anybody struggle with fear other than me? Line on Sunday morning in church. I expect that from the first service crowd, but not from you. 
you know, as I share often about this, this battle with what they just call a general anxiety disorder, one of my doctors told me, he says, it's like your body produces adrenaline. And you all know when you're on an adrenaline rush, how that feels. Well, mine might come just going to get my hair cut or going to Sam's or, or just sitting at home watching TV. And my liver doesn't metabolize it quick enough and I can't exercise it out. So I've just got this, and, and right with it is fear. And fear wants to immobilize. Fear wants to control. Fear wants to define us. Well, how many know the Bible says God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind? Well, if I am afraid and God said he's going to give me power, how do I get this power? It's by faith in his word. It's by faith in his promise that moves me from my feelings, that lets me see above my circumstances and connect with the living God. Uh, and then he goes on to say, you're not going to be afraid. And boy, he lists this big list. What's he say? Uh, he says, uh, I've lost my place. Oh, you, you'll not be afraid of the terror by night, <laughs> the arrow that flies by daytime, somebody trying to get you, pestilence in darkness, anything demonic, disease. You're not going to be afraid of destruction that wastes away at, noon, at uh, noonday. He even says this, a thousand will fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Only with your eyes will you look and see the reward of the wicked. Well, you say, maybe it's a situation like this. Maybe, maybe you're on the Titanic. Oh, God, please send a rescue ship. And the rescue ship's not coming. You're on the Titanic. And I don't know if it's the movie or in reality, but how many know that, what was it? Just a couple survivors? Well, let's say if you're one of the ones, maybe you're on a lifeboat, maybe you're not, but wouldn't it be better thinking about this scripture? That a thousand will fall at my left hand, a, a ten thousand at my right, but it's not going to befall me. Wouldn't that give you faith rather than just going crazy or trying to find a fifth of something to drink and make it go away? I'm telling you, God's word has the power to give us life and belief. Uh, you shall not be afraid. Now, let me digress a second and say this, because I know you're thinking, well, pastor, bad things do happen, even to believing people. What if I believe this verse and something bad happens anyway? Or, Pastor, in the past I believed this. I believed that I wouldn't get sick and I got sick anyway. Or I believed that somebody wouldn't die and they died anyway. Uh, how do we interpret verses like this? Are they, are they general guidance or are they absolute promises? Now, let me make a distinction. Would you agree with me that John 3.16 is an absolute promise? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall, would not perish, but shall have what? Eternal life. That's an absolute promise. Well, how about Psalm 1 that contrasts the good person and the evil or wicked person? Doesn't it say in Psalm 1 that the wicked will not prosper? But let me ask you this. Have you ever met a wicked person that was rich and drove a big car and fancy and had a big house and didn't have to work or do anything, but yet they were still wicked? Well, you don't throw Psalm 1 away. Psalm 1 was a general principle because generally most wicked people don't prosper. Generally, most righteous people would be tend to prosper. And, and then, for example, Jeremiah. 
I'm reading through Jeremiah, and it is rich right now. I'm telling you, I've been reading through this new Bible. I change Bibles about every three years because I mark up my Bible. I use an ink pen. I highlight, make highlights. I write notes in it. I have a, a green, uh, it's kind of a, a crayon and a pink one. I'll highlight words and highlight verses. And, and it's like it's fresh to me interacting with a new text. It's a new translation. And I'm reading through Jeremiah, and there's promises that are made to Israel about their prosperity, about their blessing, you know, about them, you know, I mean, it's just like after the captivity, Israel's going to be great. Well, that promise, I can't just take that for America right now and, and, you know, and say this is going to happen in America because that word in Jeremiah was written to the people after the exile and it came to pass. But how many know in AD 70, uh, the temple was destroyed and at some point Israel ceased to become a nation. So that word was true, but it was true for a season. Are, Are you with me today? So, so as we look at the Bible, uh, it can be general guidance or absolute promises, and sometimes we don't know why. Sometimes we don't know why when we read a good a scripture like this that seems like, you know, everything is going to be perfect and good if I just read this and believe this. But let me try to help you just a little bit. A scripture like this is intended to give us an anchor of faith to hold on to. Uh, if, you've, if you've ever climb, climbed a, a mountain or if you've been a rock climber, if you've seen them, you know what they do is they find a crevice in the rock and they drive a, in a stake and then they put a clip on it and they climb themselves up. That's like what faith is able to do. Faith helps us get beyond it. Now, I'm going to illustrate it with this. Does anybody know what this is? All right. It's a snake boot. Uh, uh, it's a turkey hunting boot. Uh, it's got features that if a snake bites you, supposedly he can't get through and uh, water's not supposed to get in. But I want to call it a faith boot. And I want to tell you how I use a faith boot and maybe it can help us as we're interpreting the Bible. Uh, turkey hunting, the coolest part of it is getting up early in the morning and the turkey's roosting in the tree. And, uh, and, and, and what this male turkey does is he gobbles, gobble, 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 and, 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 and you can hear him on a, on a still morning a mile away. I mean, it's just incredible when you're out in the woods. Well, what he's doing is he's trying to get all his girlfriends to come to him. <laughs> this is true. It's their mating season. And what he's saying is, hey, baby, hey, baby, hey, baby, hey, baby, baby, baby. I'm the biggest, I'm the baddest in the world. And what you're doing when you're turkey hunting is you're trying to pretend that you're the girl and you want him to come to you because nature, you know, have you ever seen a a turkey all puffed up in his tail? Well, that's how he's looking good to the females. So they'll come his way. Well, anyway, you're kind of pitting your wits. My testosterone against his. Well, in the morning, it's dark, and you can't see anything. I'm super dark, and I've got my snake, my faith boots on, and I'm, I hear him gobble, and I just start walking. I don't have a flashlight. I don't have anything. All I'm doing is walking to get close because I want to get within about 100 yards of him and just start saying, hey, baby, here I am. And I'm not worried about snakes because I have faith. My faith boots, come on, I'm wearing them. Now, in my yard, this true story, about six weeks ago, I, I had a little puppy, and I let him out to go to the bathroom at night. And uh, when he'd go to the bathroom, you know, of course, he'd come in and sleep in his little pen. Well, I, I had my house shoes on, but I had a flashlight, and I walked down the same sidewalk I always walk on, and there's a two-foot, uh, uh, what's the snake? Copperhead. copperhead. It's a two-foot copperhead standing there. And I was afraid of him. I backed up was my first response because I didn't have my faith boots. Now, let me tell you how these faith boots work 
And let me get a little more specific because this is how you walk turkey hunting. And how many know as Christians, we walk by faith because Jesus is not gobbling. He's doing something even better. Come on now. But, but these booths are also waterproof. Now, I want you to imagine it's the middle of the day now, and I'm sitting there, and I've had my morning nap, and I hear a gobble about 500 yards away. So I get up, I get excited, but the only problem between me and the turkey is there's a creek, and I don't like to get wet. They're supposed to be waterproof, but if you get this high in water, they're not going to be waterproof, and if you get, you know, pretty high, and I come to this creek, and you can just look at it from experience, know that it's deeper than the boots, and what I do is I walk along that creek, and usually about 50 yards, I'll find a place where there's a deeper spot, but there's some gravel that's, that I can see, and usually the creeks are small, and I step on the gravel and then step on the bank and keep going after the turkey. But sometimes the creek is wide. And here's the deal. When I, by faith, step out, I have no guarantee what's going to happen. Because I have stepped out like that. And rather than holding me up, it was a soft, uh, soft bottom. And I just sank in it. Well, at that point, I didn't say, I quit. No. You know what I did? I kept believing and going. Even though the faith didn't guarantee that this place I stepped would be solid, I had to make a choice that I'm either going to go backwards or I'm going to go forwards and believe and jump on across the water even if I get a little bit wet. And this is the life of faith. Sometimes our faith hits a solid place and sometimes we come to the other side and our bodies are not burned, we're not scratched, we didn't lose any money, we didn't get sick. Sometimes we hit that place and we go down in the water or somebody dies or it's difficult. We still need to exercise our faith and we still need to keep going till we get to the other side. Because for the hunter, the turkey is still out there. For the Christian, God is still out there. And to the best of my ability, I have trusted God and had faith in his word. But listen, my faith helps me to do two things. It helps me to receive when I get cross, but it also helps me endure when I get wet. So you may find some difficult things in life, and you can't force God to do everything you want him to do. But how many know faith helps us get out of it and keep on going till one day we see the Lord face to face? Come on, give him a good hand today. So I hope that helps you. And, and, and faith is an anchor. It's this thing we climb up with that brings us closer to God. Look at verse 9. Now, you're going to find this exciting. Uh, did you know if you're... A believer, you have an angel that watches over you. And this is not just some preacher saying something nice he saw on the Hallmark Channel. Uh, verse 9, here's the key. Because you've made the Lord my, who is my refuge. You have made the Lord. You have a daily walk with God. You are close with God. God is your refuge. Even the Most High is your dwelling place. Because of that, no evil will befall you. Uh, because of that, uh, uh, no plague will come near your dwelling. Now, forget about what if I get sick. This is what we do all the time. We think about what if I get sick and what if I lose my job and what if I lose my house? What if the next time you hear of a crisis coming, they just laid off, what, five, 600 people at an airlines because they wouldn't take the vaccine. Who knows how this is going to come out? But what happens if the news comes to you that something, quote, bad is going to happen? Why not respond in your thought life with this? No evil is going to befall me. No plague is coming to my dwelling because I've made the Lord my refuge and he is my dwelling place. 
And you say, well, what if you lose your job anyway? Well, God will give me another job because God gave me this first one and God will take care of me. Come on. Talk yourself into faith, not talking yourself into doubt and unbelief. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God because those that believe... I can't even quote the rest of it. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Notice verse 11 says this. He'll give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Now, let's talk about these unseen angels. Of course, this verse tells us if we want to be kept safe from danger, we've got to live close to God each day. Uh, and let me give you an illustration of this, this dwelling with God, living close with God. I've got two grandsons. It's easy for me to picture. But imagine me. I'm sitting in my easy chair in, uh, uh, my, uh, in, in our living room. We've got this actual little couch. And both of them, you know, one for Linnell, one for me. The little legs pop up. You, you know, you can sit back. Well, in the middle of it, it's got a little hump there. And that's where our grandkids like to sit. They get to sit on the hump. Well, imagine one of the grandkids is sitting on the couch and we're playing with toys and stuff. And one of the Gibbon kids is in the backside of the house playing with something back there. Well, imagine we have one of these thunderstorms come up and all of a sudden, and it's dark outside, okay? You've got the lights on. And all of a sudden, this loud thunder goes boom and the windows shake a little bit and the electricity goes out. Let me tell you what the two grandkids do. The one that's on the couch with me, that's dwelling with me, just says, pops, and jumps in my lap. The one in the back of the house starts screaming in terror, pops, help, 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 pops, where are you? So you can either live in the back house, back of the house with God and get in a crisis and say, oh, God, where are you? I need you. Or if you're just living close to God, you can just jump over in his lap. Come on now. This is, this is what we're talking about. Our refuge, our dwelling place. It's a deliberate choice. But oftentimes the way this happens is through angels. Now let me just read you a little paragraph that summarizes what angels do and who they are. Angels are intelligent spiritual beings created by God. And they have two things that they by and large do. Number one, they worship God. But number two, they carry out God's will. Now this second one uh, speaks to us. They have great power. Uh, there was one angel, uh, if you remember the story of Jehoshaphat in Chronicles, there's this huge army coming out to destroy them. One angel in the middle of the night comes and wipes out 180,000 uh, of the enemy. I mean, just come through and wipes them out. These angels have tremendous power. They're invisible, but sometimes they manifest themselves on earth. Uh, they do things like, for example, an angel might be sent to protect people. You remember Lot in Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah? Lot's in Sodom and two angels show up and say, hey, get you and your kids and let's get out of here. They're two angels, but they look like people. You know, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that we're to entertain strangers because we could be entertaining an angel unaware. So an angel can look like a human being, but in Lot's case, these angels got him out of town and kept him from the destruction that came on Sodom and Gomorrah. They were so real looking that there was homosexuality practiced in the land. That's why it was called Sodom. That's why it's called sodomy. They tried to rape these two angels and uh, they were made blind by the angels. I mean, it's an incredible biblical story, but angels protect us. Uh, angels bring divine messages. For example, uh, the book of Revelation, how was it written? 
An angel, Jesus gave an angel, and this angel gave these words and these visions to John the Revelator. Uh, how about angels encourage believers? Uh, how about Simon Peter? Remember when he's in prison? And in the book of Acts, he's in prison. He's about to be killed the next day. But in the middle of the night, he's chained to two soldiers. An angel appears in the room, says, get up. The chains fall off his wrists. He, uh, the prison door opens by itself. And the Roman guards are somewhat paralyzed. And people try to come up with answers to explain all that. Who cares how they do it? I'm just telling you, the Bible says God sent an angel and God took care of this believer. Uh, Mary is at the tomb weeping about where Jesus is. What happened to him? And guess who shows up? An angel. And the angel says, don't be afraid, Mary. He's not here. He's risen from the dead. So angels do things like this. Uh, we don't know how many there are, but the book of Revelation in 511 says, uh, the New King James says 10,000 times 10,000. That's 100 million or myriads of angels. But the most important thing for us is what do angels do? And tune back into me just a second in case I lost you. What does an angel do? Uh, in Hebrews 1.14, it says angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. How many in this room are going to inherit salvation? Do you know that there's an angel that's watching out for you? You remember the, 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 uh, the idea you've heard of the guardian angel and it's sweet to tell your kids that? Well, it's true. Matthew 18 says, don't despise one of these children. This is Jesus. I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the faith of the Father who's in heaven. So let's think about these angels that are sent to watch over us and serve us. I remember two occasions in my life where there could have well been angelic intervention. One was I'm, ni I'm, I'm 19 and I'm doing something I shouldn't have been doing. It's like texting while you're driving today. Uh, I'm pulling out of my mom's driveway. It's, an, it's a highway and cars are coming this way. And, and I'm going too fast to stop. And all of a sudden, I'm about to have a crash with two cars. Uh, I don't know what happened, but the next thing I know is I'm on the other side of the, of the road. And both those cars make it pass and blew their horn at me. You say, well, you probably just put your big foot on the gas. Maybe. Or maybe an angel put his big foot on the gas. Had another time where I could have been, uh, I could have been arrested for something and, and it could have changed the course of my life. But it was almost, I was 19, it wasn't, it wasn't last week, okay? <laughs> but, but I was 19 and I was doing something stupid and, 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 and it was like the people that were going <laughs> to rightfully arrest me, it's like they were blinded. And they didn't, I mean, it was just like, it was surreal. And God was supernatural watching over me in my stupidity because in his predestination, he knew that I would become one of his own children and I would become a minister one day. And God, I believe, sent his angels to watch over me. I'm telling you, you have angels watching over you. Let's close this and then we'll have communion. Because he set his love upon me. In other words, we're loving God with all our heart. God says, I'm going to deliver him. I'm going to set him on high because he's known my name. See, you and I have something to do. Our role is that we love God, trust him, that we call upon him. And listen to what God says he'll do. God says, I'll deliver him. I'll set him on high. I'll answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. I'll deliver him and honor him with a long life. Come on now. Will I satisfy him and show him my salvation? I'm going to do my part. 
And I'm going to trust God to do his part. I'm going to face my troubles with faith. I'm going to believe God and I'm going to have my faith boots walking. I'm not going to worry about snakes. But when I step into a, 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 across a creek, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to have Psalm 91 and the promises of God when I'm facing a crisis. And my hope and prayer is that when I touch that first piece of rock, it's going to hold me tight. And then I jump in the next one and I'm on to the other side. But if I ever go down in the mud and it sinks and it comes up on me, I'm going to keep walking by faith come on because I'm gonna to get to the other side because I'm going for Jesus and my faith helps me not only receive the promises of God it helps me endure the difficulties when trouble comes praise the Lord come on give him a good hand today he is worthy of all our praise our worship team's gonna come out and we're gonna to shift to communion these last few minutes if this is new to you, I call this COVID communion I don't like it but it is what it is uh, it's got two little layers on it. And if you can see, it's almost like a little cellophane layer at top, and then it's a thicker one. Just open the cellophane layer first and expose the bread and then hold on to it. But let me tell you what this means. This is not just something manufactured for a couple pennies. This represents the body of Christ. It represents what happened on the cross of Jesus Christ when Jesus gave his life for us. The juice reminds us of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for our sins so we could have forgiveness. I want you to stand to your feet, and we're going to sing this song, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. Now, if you know the song, sing it, the first and fourth verse, but I want you to look at the words because he was not just writing about his protection from a storm. He was writing about his salvation. He was writing about what Jesus had done to protect him from the storm of eternal judgment and open the doors to a real place called heaven. Let's sing it together. Rock of ages, That, now this was 1700, so it's a little archaic in its verbiage. But did you catch that phrase? When I rise to heights or places unknown, 
and I stand before your judgment throne. See, the Bible says that one day on judgment day, every person that's ever lived, the dead, the ones on earth today, our spirits are going to go be before God. And you know, literally there's going to be a judgment for the sin of humanity and hell is a real place. And those that don't know Christ as their Savior, that have not had their sins forgiven, will be eternally damned and separated from God. But imagine this guy hiding in that rock and this rock over his head and he's protected from the rain and he's thinking about salvation. He's thinking about this storm can't judge me because I'm in a secret place. I'm in the cleft of the rock and Jesus keeps me free from the judgment of my sin. That's what we're remembering today. The forgiveness that Christ offers and the gift of eternal life. I want you to take this bread now. It represents the sinless body of Christ that was given for us. I want you to bow your head and pray this. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for giving your life for mine. Thank you for the promise of eternal life. I pray as I eat this bread that you reveal yourself to me in a deeper level. Help me love you more and serve you all my days. In Jesus' name. Let's eat the bread together. And they're going to sing one more short chorus. But before we drink, the blood, drink this cup, I want you to... I want you to examine yourself. See, the Bible tells us to examine ourselves, and here's what it means. It's two ways. First of all, am I on the right path with God? Am I living the right way, or am I living a sinful way? Now, listen, all of us sin. Sometimes our sin are the bad things we do, and sometimes our sins are the good things that we don't do. But either way, we sin against God. Ask God to forgive you. You say, well, that's, that's all it takes. 1 John 1, 9 says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You tell God what you've done wrong and then do this. Say, Lord, help me to change and help me do right. But the second thing to examine is do I have unforgiveness in my heart towards somebody else? Jesus said if you forgive me in their sins, he'll forgive you. But if you don't forgive me in their sins, God's not going to forgive you. Now, that's bad. So I want you to think about somebody right now that makes your stomach get in a knot and your fist get in a ball. Somebody that's hurt you, lied to you, raped you, stole from you, not paid you money, not kept their word to you, talked about you, made fun of you on social media. I want you to just take a moment and forgive them with cup in hand so our heart can be clean before God. Sing this one next chorus and you examine your heart. I just bow my head and just say, Holy Spirit, help me be clean. I forgive. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. And I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I
Jesus took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now listen to this. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Listen, I want you to lift your cup with me today. And friends, we're looking forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, I pray it will be in our lifetime. But one day, Jesus, the Bible says there's going to be a, 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 a trumpet call, the voice of the archangel, the dead in Christ will rise, and then we who are left here on this earth will rise in the air to meet the Lord, and we're going to be with the Lord forever and ever and ever. So we've asked God's forgiveness. Now we celebrate communion and its promise of eternal life, which Jesus promised to those that would believe and follow him. And our prayer is that we would live godly, righteous, holy lives, serving him until he comes again. Hallelujah. Come on, let's drink together. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody say hallelujah. Come on, hallelujah. Give him a big hand today. Put that cup down and just begin to praise the Lord with me today. He is worthy. Come on, give him a big hand for our salvation. Father, full and free, the blood of Jesus Christ makes us clean. In Jesus' name. Pastor Mike's going to have the closing remark. And our Pastor Travis, our prayer team's coming to the front to have prayer for anyone that needs it. We swap, we swap people on you. It's okay. <laughs> An angel appeared before. <laughs> well, wasn't it good this morning? Amen. You know, there was a, a, a thought before we close and dismiss. Uh, as Pastor John was talking, I'm so thankful that Christ is our refuge and strength. It reminded me of the story of Noah and the ark. We probably all learned about it when we were little, little kids. But the scary part of that story is that there came a moment where it began to rain, God sealed the door, and it was too late. And I believe that's why the Bible says today is the day for salvation. That one day, it could be too late. We never know when we'll breathe our last breath. We never know when we'll stand before God in judgment. And so if you're here today and you know that you need to surrender to God, don't wait until it's too late. Let's make it right today, amen? And so what I'd like to do, I'd like to invite our prayer team to come forward. We'd love to pray with you about anything. Don't leave here if you have been burdened or you're carrying something heavy, but if you need to make a decision to follow Christ today, if you wanna make sure that you don't wait until it's too late, I'm gonna stand right over here at the cross and I'd be honored to pray with you this morning. God bless you. We're so glad that you joined us this weekend. We love you. We'll see you next weekend.
love to pray for you. We're going to hang out and worship a bit longer if you'd like to stay with us. Uh, for everyone else, you can be dismissed at any time today.